0: And let's turn to God's Word uh, this morning. The text is uh, Psalm 124. Psalm 124. We are in a sermon series looking at the Psalms of Ascent. This is going to take us straight through Advent and up to Christmas. We're going to be in these Psalms for a while, and we're a little ways in now. So Psalm 124 this morning. And this is what the psalmist wrote for God's people back then, as well as for us as God's people Today. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, the raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare was broken and we escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, one of my favorite podcasts is a nerdy, super in-depth history show called Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, because of course it is. Um, you know enough about me at this point to know that's the sort of stuff that I'm into. And when I first discovered that podcast, listening to it was about all I wanted to do. Uh, it's what got me through all of my household chores, like mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, vacuuming the house. In fact, I, I was listening to that thing so often that I remember one time I was heading out the door with the dog, and I said to Sarah, I'm taking the dog for a walk. And she said, but really, you're just going to listen to that podcast again, aren't you? <laughs> busted. And part of why I love that show is because the host, uh, Dan Carlin, just goes to such a deep level when he's talking about the different stories and historical events uh, that he dives into on the podcast. It's, it's an immersive experience of sorts, which for a history fan like me is just really delightful. Um, you you kind of get to lose yourself in the story and the figures and the historical situations and events that he's talking about. For instance, his most recent series of shows has been on the Pacific Theater uh, of World War II. Uh, Each episode is anywhere from three to six hours long, and there's six of them. Uh, So with a total content time of around 25 hours, you can see why after, after a while Sarah noticed that I was finding chores to do in order to listen to that podcast. In the most recent episode though, uh, Carlin talked about something that I'd never heard about before. Uh, When I was younger, uh, World War II was kind of a, uh, learning about it was kind of a hobby of mine. I was just fascinated by it. My grandpa had served, and so I wanted to know everything about that that war. But I had never heard this, which was uh, in 1944, as as the war was sort of drawing to a close, um, one of the last ditch efforts that the Japanese tried was an invasion of India. There were a number of reasons they did that, but according to Carlin, at least one of them was to see if they could spark a revolution there. You see, at the time, India was still governed by the British, uh, who were obviously part of the Allies fighting against the Axis powers that included Germany and Italy and, and Japan. And so apparently part of the Japanese rationale for, for invading there was to see if maybe they could get uh, the nation of India to break away from their British overlords and revolt against them. There had been rumblings about independence for quite a while in India at that point. And so what if, wondered the Japanese... All those Indian troops who are serving with the British forces suddenly stopped fighting us and started fighting them. What if India was no longer on the side of the Allies, but suddenly on their own side? What might that do? What effect might that have? How might it affect the war? I'll suffice it to say that the plan didn't end up working out for the Japanese, but it's an interesting question, right? What would have happened if that had succeeded? How would it have affected the war? It might not have been the tide-turning event that the Japanese were maybe hoping it would be, but how might history have looked different if India and its millions of people suddenly weren't on the side of the Allies and instead were on some other side? Well, here in Psalm 124, the psalmist actually plays out a a similar sort of hypothetical situation. Only this time, instead of asking what it would be like if India wasn't on our side, He asks the question, what it would be like if the Lord wasn't? That's more or less what the psalmist is getting at with the opening lines of this psalm. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, then what? What would that be like? What would happen? What would become of of God's people if the Lord suddenly disappeared? if he suddenly removed his protective hedge from around his people, if he suddenly withdrew his, his omnipotent right hand, what would happen? That's the question that the psalmist is asking in the opening verses of this psalm. And then he goes on to answer that question himself. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. In other words, says the psalmist, if it wasn't for the Lord, it wouldn't be pretty. It wouldn't be okay. In fact, it wouldn't be something that the Israelites could even talk about because the simple fact is that they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be around anymore. They wouldn't exist. That's what the psalmist is saying here. That's the imagery of verses three through five. It's the imagery of resounding defeat, total destruction, and the elimination of Israel from the face of the earth. That's what would happen, says the psalmist, if the Lord wasn't on their side. The psalmist uses the image here of being swallowed up, almost as if a dragon or a sea monster of some type came along and gobbled up God's people. He uses the imagery of a flood too, a flash flood to be exact, a torrent of water that comes out of nowhere and sweeps them away. Those kind of floods are common in that part of the world. In his book on these Psalms along obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson writes, In the Middle East, water courses that have eroded the countryside are all interconnected by an intricate gravitational system. A sudden storm fills these little gullies with water, they feed into one another, and in a very few minutes, a torrential flash flood is produced. During the rainy season, such unannounced catastrophes pose great danger for persons who live in these desert areas. There is no escaping. One minute, you are well and happy and making plans for the future. The next minute, the entire world is disarranged by catastrophe. I actually know something about that from personal experience. Um, Back in 2013, I've I've talked about this before, but I was on a bike tour called Sea to Sea going across the country. And one of the places that we stopped on that tour was in Rehoboth, New Mexico, which has a, a landscape and a geography somewhat similar, at least to the Middle East. And shortly after we arrived that day, we'd finished riding, we'd pulled into the parking lot there. There was a short but intense downpour of rain. In fact, a few of us even quick ran inside, grabbed our soap, and then went outside in our bike shorts and showered in it. Because that's what you do when you're on a three-month bike tour. Um, You become a bit of a strange person. Uh, It didn't last long. It was maybe, maybe 15 minutes long. um, And then it was over, and we went on with the rest of our evening. The next morning, though, as we were getting ready, we got word that we might not be able to ride that day. Because it turns out that the rain from the night before had washed out a huge chunk of one of the roads that we were supposed to ride out of town on. Uh, Even though it hadn't been a long storm, just like Peterson describes in that quote, it had created a flood of catastrophic power that had washed away soil, land, and even concrete in a matter of minutes. Now we ended up being able to find a way around uh, that, that washed out road. We actually rode all the way up to it and then walked our bikes around and there was this huge gaping hole in the middle of the highway. But that's what the psalmist is describing here. That's what he's saying it would be like If God wasn't on their side, they would be swallowed up, engulfed, swept over, and swept away in hardly a moment's time. Fortunately, though, the Lord is on their side. That's the second half of this psalm. As the psalmist says in verses 6 through 8 Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, the Lord has come through for Israel. He's delivered them. He's rescued them. He's saved them from the clutches of their enemies. That's what the psalmist is celebrating here. And it's important to notice, by the way, that he's not celebrating that in the abstract, okay? This isn't just general praise. It's not sort of a blanket confession of God's goodness and help. The next psalm is actually Psalm 125, and we'll look at that next week, but not this one. Instead, Psalm 124 is rooted in history. It's specific. The psalmist has in mind clearly an instance or actually instances of, of when God has provided his help to his people. He doesn't name those situations. He doesn't get into specifics here. He doesn't go into all the nitty-gritty details of that. But it's clear from the way that he writes this psalm that it's a historical remembrance of God's help in the past. The psalmist is recalling specific instances of when God has provided his assistance to his people. And it's meant to remind Israel of that help that they've received in the past as well as a reminder of the fact that God will continue to help them in the same way in the future. In all the specific times of difficulty throughout their history, Israel is called to remember that their help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And as God's people reading this psalm still today we are called to remember that same thing as well. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of look back at different situations in my life, and personally, it's actually kind of hard to count the, num- the number of times where I've experienced that sort of help from God. Different situations, circumstances, things that I did or things that happened to me. With the 20-20 the vision of hindsight, I can see now where God was at work in them, similar to how the psalmist describes here. I didn't always know it at the time, but looking back now, I can see it. One example that comes to mind, and it's kind of silly because it's so small, it's so ordinary, so everyday, but was something that happened to me back when I was in high school. I still remember it kind of like it was yesterday. I was driving down Chicago Avenue in Thornton, Illinois, on my way to uh, my job as a maintenance guy at the Holland Home Retirement Facility in South Holland, Illinois. And for whatever reason, I needed to merge lanes, and so after consulting my mirrors, uh, which showed no cars around, I was just about to move into the next lane when I decided to check my blind spot. And I was a 16 or 17-year-old at the time without much driving experience at that point in my life. I have to admit to you that I didn't always check my blind spot the way that I should have. But, for whatever reason, I did that day. And sure enough, there was a car there. And to this day, I still don't know how it got there. On on that specific drive into my job, there wasn't always a lot of traffic. In fact, sometimes I could drive the entire way from my home to the retirement home and not see another vehicle on the road. And I don't remember that there had been a car ahead of me that I had passed. I didn't remember seeing one behind me that had come up and driven up uh, into the next lane. I didn't remember a car turning onto the road, but there it was. And if I had started merging like I was planning to after just consulting the mirrors without checking my blind spot, I would have hit them. And I still remember, after seeing that car there and then letting them pass and then merging behind them, I still remember thanking God. In fact, I said it out loud in my car to myself, thank you, God. Thank you for protecting me. Because I just had this overpowering sense that he had been watching over me, that it had been him who had nudged me to check my blind spot that day, and that he had, in the words of this psalm, been helping me as I drove to work. That's not the only time I've had that. Like I said, over the years, I've had a number of different experiences like that where I felt God's presence, his nearness, his protection, and his help. That one just kind of always sticks in my mind. And I'm assuming that most of us have had experiences like that. That's part of the joy of being a Christian, right? You know, we can look back on certain things in our lives, certain relationships, certain situations, uh, certain circumstances or events, and we can see the hand of God leading us, guiding us along the way. Like the psalmist here in Psalm 124, we too have a historical remembrance of God's help in our lives. Specific situations we can recall and point to. Certain experiences and moments in our past where we know that he was there with us. That said, we probably also have times that aren't like that. I think that's important to acknowledge. Despite the fact that, at least in some circles, Christianity has gained a bit of a reputation as a sweep it under the rug sort of religion, that's not really true. While some power of positive thinking preachers tend to make it sound like it's all sunshine and rainbows, the reality is that the Christian life can at times be difficult. In fact, at times it can even be downright treacherous. There are times, pretty much for all of us, at one point or another, in our lives when we cast our eyes skyward and instead of seeing the gentle warmth of the morning sun, we instead see a blanket of overcast and angry clouds, rain and hail, thunder and lightning. You know, it's, it takes many forms. It's the unexpected loss of a loved one, the person gone before their time, before we were ready, before we wanted to say goodbye. It's the betrayal of a friend, someone we trusted, somebody we liked, somebody we might have even loved, who now, because of something they've said, something they've done, something they didn't do, has made it abundantly clear to us that they don't like or love us in return. It's the child who walks away from the faith, leaving us with a gnawing uncertainty about what they believe, what their relationship with God looks like, and what we might have done differently as parents. And in moments like those, the question comes in, right? Where is God then? Why didn't he do something? Where is his rescue, his deliverance, his help? I'll be honest, I don't know. I don't always have a great answer for that. I think it's important for pastors to admit that sometimes. To not sugarcoat it, to not try and explain the pain away, to admit when the Hallmark card and cookie-cutter answers aren't going to cut it. I don't know. That's the hard truth of this psalm, the hard truth, actually, of Scripture as a whole. Just because God has been our help in certain circumstances or is our help in general, it doesn't mean that we'll experience that help in every single situation at least not the way that we would like or want. Remember, after all, that this psalm, Psalm 124, was written and sung by people who would eventually be invaded, overthrown, defeated, and then deported far away to the land of Babylon. That's precisely the kind of situation and attack from their enemies that the psalmist praises God here for preventing in their past. And yet when Nebuchadnezzar and his legion showed up, he allowed it. Why? Again, I don't know. I don't know why God allows some of the tragedy and difficulty in our lives. We believe in and worship and confess a God that we don't always understand, a God who doesn't fit into our modern cause and effect way of thinking, a God that we can't nail down, put in a box, or explain away. There's mystery to him. He is God, after all. and So we're never going to fully understand him. And there's tension in that, right? There's tension in that with how things sometimes happen in our lives and how we want them to turn out or happen. And yet for as much as that's true, here's something else that's true too. If God could help us in the past, then he can help us in the future as well. Again, just because God has helped us in past situations, there's no guarantee that we'll experience His help the way that we want in every situation. But likewise, just because we don't experience His help the way that we want in every situation, it doesn't mean that we won't ever experience it again. That's the reminder that this psalm offers. That's the hope here. That's the truth that we need to keep in mind. God has been faithful in the past. Regardless of whether we've always experienced that faithfulness the way we wish, he will be faithful again. That's who he is. It might be hard to see. It might be hard to trust it. We might even second guess that that's who he really is from time to time. But as Christians, his disciples, those traveling this long obedience, this road of long obedience to him, it's part of what we confess to be true about him. I'll give you another personal example. A number of years ago, I was dating a wonderful young woman who I had fallen madly in love with. Uh, Everything about her was perfect. I loved her personality, her sense of humor, her faith and passion for God. She was beautiful, kind, and the sort of person that others wanted to be around. Um, We started talking engagement, rings, marriage. It was all heading for that perfect fairy tale ending that I, I was hoping it would. And then it ended. Three years of dating, overcoming a year of long distance, planning, dreaming, anticipating our life together, and then it was gone. She was gone. And if I'm honest with you, a part of me was gone too. It's actually initially part of why I signed up for that bike tour I mentioned earlier. Because I was angry, I was confused, and I needed to clear my head, and for whatever reason, three months in a bike saddle sounded like a good way to do that. I tried dating again, and it was weird. You know, I, I realized that after three years of being in a relationship, I didn't really know how to date anymore. Um, for starters, I didn't know how to find people to date. I didn't know what to talk about with them when I did. Um, and I also realized that I didn't really know what I was looking for in a relationship anymore, either. And so I remember at one point uh, thinking, that was probably my last chance to find someone. And now it's gone. Now, if I could go back in time to that version of Brandon, I would tell him that he's being a little dramatic. Um, After all, six years of marriage and two kids later, it obviously wasn't my last chance to find someone. But that's how it felt. That's how it always feels in situations like that, right? It feels hopeless, demoralizing, broken beyond repair, In those moments when it feels like God has removed his faithfulness from us, it's hard to imagine him ever being faithful again. And yet he is. He is faithful. That's what we confess. That's what we believe. As the author of Hebrews puts it, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, even when we don't see it. Even when we don't understand, in fact, especially when we don't understand. As Christians, what we cling to, what we hope for, and what we trust about God is exactly what the psalmist says here. He, God, the maker of heaven and earth, is our help. And we see that most clearly in the gospel. After all, did God's faithfulness seem clear at the cross? Did that seem like a good idea? Did it seem like that would work out the way that it needed to? I mean, as Christians, we're familiar with this story, right? But let's just take a step back and think about this a little more objectively for a moment. God's plan of salvation included having his son, Jesus Christ, be arrested and tortured, nailed to a cross and ridiculed and then suffering and dying. That's the way God chose to save us. That's the way that he chose to make us right with him again. That's the way that he chose to redeem and renew us as his people. What about that makes sense? What about that seems like it's going to work? What about that looks like it was God's faithfulness in action? And yet it was, right? It was. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, but he was. In fact, he became one of us, took our place so that we could be rescued, delivered, and saved yet again. Our help is in the name of the Lord. That's still true today. He's been our help in ages past. Whether or not we can always see it, he is our help still. And the truth is that he will continue to be our help in ages to come. Thanks be to him. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your help. We can look back with the hindsight vision, 2020 vision, and see that you have been our help in the past. You remain our help still today, and we continue to trust that you will be our help in the future. Thank you for providing us with that help, for caring for us and protecting us as your people. And it's in the name of the one who makes that help possible, the name of Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.